We're in John chapter 4 this morning. That's where we read our passage of Scripture. And some of you are very familiar with the book of John. It is uh, one of the four Gospels. Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Mark presents Jesus as a servant. You'll see him busy this week while Lynn and I were away. We read uh, the first half of the book of Mark together as we sat, sat there together and read that. And we saw that Jesus was busy doing this, going here, helping these people. Even on a time he said, oh, let's take time to relax. They couldn't. The people crowded them, and he had to keep on going after a long, hard day. You see him serving. In the book of Luke, he was, he's man. He's the son of man. In the book of John, he's God. From the very beginning, John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Of course, verse 14 says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus is introduced as God in, uh, in the book of John. Chapter 2, we have the story of Him attending a wedding and uh, going to a wedding and, and participating in something that He originated 4,000 years before that, with Adam and Eve, he is, his first miracle was done at a wedding for a family. And I think that's a beautiful thing. In chapter 3, he meets a rich, educated, religious leader named Nicodemus. He was a member probably of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was somebody who, who had it all going on from, a, from an outward standpoint, but he had an emptiness in his heart. And it, it, he kept hearing Jesus talk about being born again, and it really puzzled him. And so in the crowd, he wouldn't openly uh, ask a question. But at night, he went to Jesus in John chapter 3, and he said, we know you're a teacher come from God. Why? Because these miracles you're doing. The miracles were set up for Jewish people in particular to listen to the truth. And he said, uh, and Jesus said to him, ye must be born again. And he begins to tell Nicodemus how to be saved and concludes his conversation with verse number 16 and 17, probably the most popular verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he tells him that story. And Nicodemus, I don't know that he got saved that night, but he did get saved. Uh, you see him standing up for Jesus later in the book of John and then uh, eventually, he and helps Joseph of Arimathea take the bludgeon-beaten, bloody body of Jesus off the cross, and he and Joseph escort him to that borrowed tomb that we heard about just a few moments ago. And so he did come to know the Lord as his Savior. Whether that night, I don't know. And by the way, you don't know uh, what your gospel presentation means to everybody. Maybe they say, oh, they rejected me. Maybe they rejected you now, but they accept the Lord Jesus Christ later. Let's be faithful to get sowing seeds of kindness, sowing seeds of the gospel. But we see in chapter 4 is the polar opposite of Nicodemus. Jesus is with his disciples, and he in, is preaching the gospel. The disciples are baptizing people, and it's very aware to the Pharisees that more people are being baptized by Jesus and his disciples, though Jesus baptized not, than John the Baptist did. And he knew it was creating an error, creating a problem and, and a stigma inside the Pharisees. And so he said, it's time for us to leave uh, Jerusalem and Judea, and let's go up to Galilee. But he said something very important. He said, we must needs go through Samaria. 
He said, we're going to go through Samaria. Now, the Samaritans, it was a section of that country. Uh, Israel, if you were looking behind me here, Israel, it's got a, a, it's an oblong shape. Up top here is Galilee. And then underneath the lower part is Judea and Jerusalem. And in the middle was Samaria. And the Samaritans were Jews that had intermingled with the Assyrians. And the product of their marriages were rejected by true Orthodox Jews. And they chose to worship in a different place. You can see it in 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 27 down to verse number 35. You'll see that they had a set up a whole another place in, in another mountain of a Gerizim. And then there it was there and then, and then they had Jerusalem was where the temple was. So the Jews did not want the Samaritans coming down there and the Jews were certainly not going to Samaria. But Jesus said, we're going to go walk through Samaria. And they, they probably, the disciples, they never argued with Jesus. They asked him questions sometimes, but they were committed to consecration, to obeying what he wanted to do. And, and they didn't argue, but they just followed along. He came to Jacob's well the in Sychar, which, was the, which is the kind of the area, not too far away, is that place where they worship. And Jesus, probably one of a couple reasons, he stayed there. It's noontime. It's the sixth hour of the day. The Jewish day started at 6 a.m., and it was a sixth hour, about noon. And he sent the disciples in to get something to eat, and he stayed there either to rest or because he didn't want to go inside and create more, more uh, people to come to him. And he sent the disciples in to get some food. They went in town to get food, and he stayed there at the well, and a lady comes to the well. As we told you about Nicodemus, he was religious, he was righteous from, from, from the world's view, but he was emptying his heart. This girl was emptying her heart, but she was the polar opposite of that. She was probably poor. She's carrying her own water. She's not someone that would have a, a, a maid or a, or a servant to do it. She's carrying her own water pot. She's walking in. She's not coming in the morning where all the other ladies would come or in the evening because she was, you'll find in a moment, was not welcome with the other ladies in town. She had to come in the middle of the day. The hottest, most miserable time to get water would be at high noon. But she made her way there because she, everyone, she was wicked. Jesus knew that about her. She was hurt. She was poor. She had been promiscuous. She had either been... She had been married five times. She was living with someone at the present time in the state of, uh, as a whoremonger, someone who was in fornication. And she was living with him, and she made her way to that well. Jesus engaged her in that conversation. He asked her a question. He said, can I have a drink? And rather than getting him a drink, she said, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're a man, I'm a woman. Why are you talking to me? And he said, well, I asked you for a drink of water. If you'd asked me for a drink, I could give you water that you would never thirst again. And of course, he speaking spiritually, she thinking materially, earthly. So uh, as a result of that, she kind of said, oh, yeah, you don't even have a bucket this well is deep. You don't have a bucket. You have no utensils. You have no vessel. And you're going to give me water. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? Answer to that question is yes. 
He made Jacob. <laughs> he was greater, but she didn't know who she was dealing with. She began to, to kind of be smart aleck with him. And he said, well, the water that we have here, you'll thirst again. But the water I could give you, you would not need to thirst again. And she said to him, she said, well, then give me this water. That I don't have to come to the well every noonday and, and come in this intense heat and get water. Go ahead, sir. Give me this water. And then he said, well, okay, you go home and get your husband. Come back and we will, uh, we'll, we'll give you the water. And she said to him, I don't have a husband. And he said, well, you know, you've said well. That's what you've well said. That's true. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And right now you're living as though you are a husband and wife. Even you have not, you've not done so rightly and properly. You're living in immorality as we speak. To which he responded, ooh, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Can we talk religion? Of course, Jesus put his finger on a sin, and she wants to change the subject. If you witness to people very often, you'll find that that will happen to you. They'll have another, another thing, something that someone brought up at work, or something that they learned as a child, or something their dad believed, or their mom believed, or something they heard one day, or they want to talk about the news, and all of those, which some of those are good to talk about, some of those are good to avoid and get to the truth. And Jesus would not let her take him down that road, take uh, her, take him down the road of religion so much but that is where we find the basis of our talk this morning in our message, in, our, mess, in our, our sermon today. Let's look real quickly, if we can. I've just read, given you the background. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse chapter 4, verse number 21. John chapter 4, the Bible says this. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me. By the way, it's a good thing when you talk to Jesus to believe him. When he gets ready to say something, when he says something, just believe him. Well, I have to understand things before I believe him. Well, that's silly. I don't understand electricity, but I'm not going to sit in the dark. I'll go ahead and flip the light switch on. You don't have to understand everything about everything. You don't understand how your car works, but it doesn't keep from turning the key on. You may understand exactly how that windshield wiper is going to do like this in just a few moments if you do this. Well, I don't know how it works. Well, you don't let the rain continue to blur your vision. You turn it on. And the truth of the matter is you may not understand everything about God, but you can believe God. God does not ask us always to understand him. He does give us understanding. The Bible says that's why the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. God will reveal things to us, but uh, he wants us first to believe him. He says to this lady, ma'am, believe me. By the way, that's something you ought to do. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're facing. But I will say this, believe God. Trust him. So I'm looking at my finances. I don't see how I'm supposed to believe God. I'm having a hard time with my family or my marriage. I think I just need to make an exit here. Believe God. What's it take for a family to stay together? It takes faith in God and determination to continue. Trusting God. Nowhere in the Bible says, husbands, trust your wives. Wives, trust your husbands. You can't find that in the Scriptures. You can't find it. Kids, trust your parents. Or parents, trust your children. You'll find all through the Bible an in, a, a challenge and a command for us to believe God. 
to trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. As I said before, faith is the most important thing about you. That's why I'm glad you're here this morning. That's why I'm glad you're able to watch online because hearing God's word generates faith inside of us. Everyone who gets saved gets saved because someone shows them the scriptures and God's word brings faith to them. I like what he said to her. He said, ma'am, you need to believe me. If you look at verse number 21 again, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain or yet at uh, Jerusalem worship the Father. He said it's not going to be worship is not going to be revolving around a location. Verse number 22, ye worship, ye know not what, but we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, salvation is not just a concept, it's a person. The Bible tells him, remember the guy in, the, in, in Luke chapter 2, his name was Simeon? And when Jesus came with his mother, Joseph, and Mary, and they, an infant, got to carry an infant just yesterday, got to see the little bald one baby, and last week I got to, to hold another beautiful baby uh, for the Sue family, their little Gwen. But you know, Simeon held the baby of Jesus up, and what did he say? My eyes have seen thy salvation. Salvation is not in a church. It's not in a baptistry. I think we have some folks getting baptized this morning, but they're not going to get baptized to go to heaven. Salvation is not in water. It's not in a pastor or a priest. It's not in a confession or a catechism. Salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And he says to this lady, he said, ma'am, believe me, the hour is coming when you're not going to matter. It's not going to matter the location of your worship because you're going to be able to worship anywhere. He said, because we know what we worship, you don't know what you worship. Now, I will say this, the Samaritans were clueless. They had been excluded from the temple, and so they made up their own worship. They brought in their own gods. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 17, and they began to add other gods that, uh, that became polytheistic, if you will. They did recognize a father, God the Father, from their ancestors, but they began to be more eclectic. And by the way, listen, God said, I don't want any other gods before me. Now, that's a challenge for me, and it's a challenge for you. Most of us do not spend time kneeling down in front of a formed God, a statue, but we have idols of our heart. Say, so what's a God to you, pastor? What's a God to me? It's things that we, co we concentrate on continually. We think about it. We're going to talk about the concept of worship this morning. I've been thinking about this, and, and he says, look, it's, it's not going to be in a, it's not localized. It's not formalized. It's not just, in, well, we can worship when we come to church. Now, worship is a part of the service this morning. But it's not a fuzzy-wuzzy we feel inside of us. Many people, they, they think of worship, they think of a physical attribute. I think it's fine to kneel and pray. It's fine to sit and pray. It's fine to stand and pray. But the posture of prayer is not more important than the heart that's praying. Singing, I thank God in a few weeks, Lord willing, God will help us to have our orchestra back. And I miss the orchestra. I miss the choir. But we don't need a choir to worship. We don't need an orchestra to worship. We don't have to have a piano to worship. We don't have to have a microphone to worship. We don't have to have a building to worship. 
We don't have to have a certain way to make us feel fuzzy-wuzzy to worship. He's going to remind her about this in a moment. Because they were worshiping, and she was getting the fuzzy-wuzzies by her mountain there, but, but uh, she said, no, real salvation comes from the Jews, which basically means that through the Israelite nation, we would get our scriptures and we'd get our Savior. God chose to bring Jesus through a Jewish line. That's why much of our Bible is Jewish in nature. It's why we have the books of Joshua and Judges and Ruth and, and uh, 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and Chronicles. It's the history, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, all of those are the history of the Jewish people in the Old Testament because God wants us to understand what a lineage of people he would bring our Savior and our Scriptures to. In the New Testament, we don't have the history of the Israelite people. We have the history of the local church in the book of Acts. God turns the page after his son goes back to heaven and says, Now, I love the Jewish people, but now I'm interested in everybody hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's gonna, he's going to do his work not through Israel in this day and time, but in the local church, in this body of believer and others just like us. But he's challenging her and telling her the salvation of the Jews. Let's continue looking. If we can, please, we'll make a few comments. This morning, verse number 23. Would you read it out loud with me, everybody? But the hour cometh. Here he says, true worshipers. Are you a true worshiper this morning? Do you know what that means? What does a true worshiper look like? What happens in the life of a true worshiper? We have gotten very used to watching church. My mother, she has three, four sons, and I, my name is John. I have a brother, Matthew, who's a pastor in Dallas, Texas, another brother, Mark, who's a pastor in Rantoul, Illinois, and a pastor, uh, brother Luke, who's a pastor in Knoxville. And so she... Uh, found out through live stream, she can listen to all of her boys all day long. And then she gets to listen to her own pastor, Brother Clarence Sexton, at the end, and he straightens us all out. She said, John, I've watched so much church, I am spiritually worn out. After watching all you boys preach all day long, and then I can go back to the night service and listen to it again. I've like insisted, I can listen to five different messages in the morning and five in the evening. Because I am spiritually worn out. Now she's been doing, she's been watching a lot of services. Some of you have been watching, and by the way, thank you for doing that. Thank you for stopping the world and, and sitting down, whether it be by your radio at 90.5 The Key, or it be by, uh, by YouTube, or be by Facebook Live. You have listened to not only this church family, but other good churches that are being ministering to the Word of God. Thank God for the technology. But here's what I'm fearful that we'll be good at watching and be sorry at worshiping. Got people that are glad to watch, but not to worship. Worship is not localized. Worship is not formalized. It should not be falsified. It must revolve around two basic concepts, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And it will produce two other things. It will produce service and soul winning. Remember the two ladies or two sisters that kind of got in an argument? Primarily one was busy working. What's her name? Martha. Her sister was busy doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Worshiping. Working. 
Many of us, we don't mind doing something. We don't mind giving us a job. We don't mind writing that check. We don't mind doing it. But, but, to, but oftentimes, our service is very limited. And the Bible teaches us, be steadfast. We heard the missionary read this morning, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? Getting the gospel to other people. The work of the Lord is not necessarily leading a song in junior church, but we need to do that so little kids can be brought into the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing the work of the Lord is not necessarily being an usher, though it is we usher people in so they can hear the word of God. The work of the Lord is not necessarily singing a song in the choir. Those singing the choir can be used of God to warm the hearts of people, prepare people for the word of God. But the work of the Lord is me and you personally being involved in witnessing and telling others about Christ and edifying other people to do the same. Every Christian ought to do something. Every, you know what determines whether or not you do that or not? Now, I don't know you. You don't know me and you don't know my schedule. I don't know your schedule. I don't know where you live, all of you. I don't know what you do with your time. But every one of us ought to do something so somebody is encouraged to love God and others more if they're a Christian and they know about Jesus if they're not. You know where that is birthed out of? That's why we have bus routes. By the way, can I just say real quickly, I'd like to encourage you. We had in 2019 a bus ministry reunion. It was unbelievable. This year, we're going to need a bus ministry restart. Many of our sweet friends, and I talked to a bus captain yesterday. He's been going visiting every week, and he said, Pastor, I used to go to houses, and they would say, I'd say, you're going to come tomorrow? I go, oh, we're thinking about it. Now they're like, can you pick me up tomorrow? <laughs> He said, no, you can't run the buses yet. Oh, please, tell me when you're going to do it. I want to go. I miss it. But you know what? I want to encourage some of you to say, you know what? I will. Maybe you could give a month, three months, to say, you know what? Whenever the buses start rolling again, I'm going to find a bus captain, and I'm going to visit on that bus route. I'm going to ride that bus for three months. Maybe it's going to be July, August, September. I'm going to go visit someone. I'm going to find that bus captain to give me a direction and a place and the people I'll go visit. I'll shepherd them for three months just to do my part to get this thing back on. To encourage, I guarantee you, people will be saved. Moms and dads will be helped. Kids will come and know Jesus Christ. You'll get engaged in this world that God has given us. and You'll not just sit and watch the world go by. You'll get involved. And not everybody can do that, but many of us can. I'm personally thinking about doing that myself. I think my wife is thinking about it. Thinking about ways in which we can involve ourselves more so to help the work of the Lord. You know where that's going to be birthed out of? My worship. If you don't sit by Jesus' feet, if you don't spend some time in spirit and in truth, you and I are not going to be willing to work for Jesus. We're not going to be willing to do anything. That's birthed out of worship. And Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter with this lady. He's telling her, listen, the Father is seeking such to worship him. You know, the Heavenly Father is looking. Worship is not only a commanded, and it should be true, but it is sought. Many of us were away from God. Some of this coronavirus has brought us a little closer to the Lord. Some of us have decided, you know what, I, I want to get closer. But many of us, the Lord is seeking us. He wants us to get close to him. How close are you? You know how close you are? You are as close as you want to be. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So, well, I don't feel like very close to God. Whose fault is that? 
Well, you know, I just don't, I just feel like I'm a little bit callous in my heart. That's not God's fault. God is seeking people who are true worshipers. I want to share with you a couple thoughts in closing this morning. And let's look at, finish, finish the reading, and then I'll share the thoughts. Verse number 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, and when he's, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. Here we find the first act of humility that this lady brings. She's been smart, look, in my opinion. She's been cantankerous and contrasting what the Lord Jesus would say. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? Okay, forget, the, forget about my sin. Let's talk about religion. And then he says, you know, God is looking for you, ma'am. God is seeking those who will worship him. And true worshipers and false worshipers. I don't want to be in that. I want to be in that true worshiper group. And whenever she heard that, she said, you know, I think when the Messiah comes, he'll make it real clear. And Jesus said, I'm him. And she says, I believe it. She dropped her, her, her vessels, and she said, I'll be back. And she ran into the town, and after a moment of worshiping the true Messiah, she went around and told everybody. She went to her little black book and said, Come, come see a man who told me all things. Now, he didn't tell her everything she'd done wrong, but she felt like her sin was open before him. And he saw her need, and he loved her anyway. And she began to tell others about the Lord. I think the reason that Pastor Wilkerson struggles sometimes, and our, and our missionaries told he struggles to be a faithful witness, is because of a lack of worship. When we see Jesus, who he is, I believe that our out, our, 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 we, start, we stop doing the selfie and we start looking out the window of people that God has put in our path. When we love Jesus, handing out a gospel tract, even with the coronavirus, will not be an issue. Talking about the Lord, making a way to interact with somebody else, get into conversation. That'll be as easy as talking about the Cubs at the, at, the, at the World Series when they won. Everybody was talking about it. We, we get to worship the Lord and give him attention. Certainly our mouth will go into, go into play. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, Oh, you guys say you, you worship me. You worship me with your lips, but your heart is far in closing, let's look at this thought real quickly, and I'm going to just give you this, this quick thing. Number one, true worship is a redeemed heart. To be worshiping God, first of all, you need to have a new nature. It's the new nature trying, pursuing the one who I'm going to spend eternity with. You know, all of us, God says, I want to be your God. I want to be your pursuit. We got a lot of other things out there that attract our attention. But whenever we have our new nature that we're saved, we ought to want to know the God who we're going to spend forever with. This week I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Thinking about what's it going to be like to be with God forever. I'm not afraid to die. Whenever that comes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try to jump out in front of a truck or anything. But I'm not afraid when that comes because I know to be absent from this body is to be present with my God. And that worship inside of me ought to be a pursuit to get to know the one who I'm going to spend forever with. True worship must come from a redeemed heart who is conscious of God. 
know, I can tell, and you can tell if I'm conscious of God. It depends on what I talk about. wonder how many times we've texted Jesus Christ in our text this week. How many times we might have written his name. In your quietness, did you say, dear Lord, could your kids have heard you pray that? Just in your, in your car, your truck, wherever your business is, whatever you're doing, Lord Jesus, please help me with this. Help me to mirror your image. We talk about things we pursue. If you're going to start a business, you're going to talk about that business. If, you, if you're going to have a baby, you're going to talk about having this baby. If you love the Lord and you're, you're pursuing him, you and I are going to talk about it. It's a redeemed heart that is occupied with God, expressing itself in adoration and thanksgiving to God. Is your heart redeemed? Do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Number two, does your heart, is it filled with God, is it occupied with God? And do you have, I'll tell you, if it is, you're going to have a heart of adoration and thanksgiving to a God. And everybody else is going to know it. Thank you for listening this morning. Are you a true worshiper? If I had the title of the message, I would just say, Watching or Worshiping. Where do you find yourself?